you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we're continuing in our series, The Gathering, a community set apart by the gospel as a compelling witness of Christ to the world. So this is our uh, second last message in our series about the church, and today we're looking at the title of today's message, Communion and the Unity of the Church. Carla just read the passage for us. It's a long one, uh, but we're going to get through it hopefully quickly, and so you can be praying for me for, for that. So when Natalie and I started dating, I did a a number of really dumb things. Uh, One of the first things I did, actually in the very first week, there was radio silence. I I didn't text her, I didn't call her, I didn't talk to her. I thought just simply waving hi to her on the way to my class was enough. (laughs) It's it's by God's grace that we made it through that first week. Uh, Another dumb thing that I did was whenever we'd go out for a date to a restaurant and we'd eat a meal together, so Natalie, you got to know this about her, she loves sharing food, so every time we go out, it's like family style, I hate that, and so I would wait for her to order something, and then I would order the exact same thing, because then that way I didn't have to share. Uh, and, And instead of that moment being a time when we, we actually grew together in sharing and getting to know one another, it actually exposed my, my selfishness. And, and that's what Paul accuses the church in Corinth of, of the meal that they were given by the Lord, that they were actually twisting it and distorting it. See, when communion is done right, and this is our, our big takeaway today, communion, when it's done right, displays our devotion to Christ and our commitment to the church. See, when we do communion right, it displays devotion to Christ because we're obeying his command and remembering his work as Savior and submitting to him as Lord, but it also displays our commitment to the church because we eat it together and it displays our unity and oneness in the Lord. So communion displays our devotion to Christ and our commitment to the church. And my aim for for the message this uh, this afternoon is, is this, that we would grow in a deeper understanding of the gift of communion and its importance in the life of the church. See, communion was supposed to look like this, but the church in Corinth was was doing it the exact opposite way. Look at verse 17. Now in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Did you hear that? Paul's not happy with what's happening. Verse 18, I hear that. 
See, their, their bad conduct has gone beyond the church and has reached the ears of Paul. And see, this is a, a warning to us. This shows why it's so important that as a church, we live wisely and intentionally pursuing holiness. Because those around us will hear about our conduct, whether it's good or bad. And so we need to be watchful and attentive to how our actions speak about Jesus Christ to the culture. Because we need to represent him well. Well, the question we need to ask is, what is Paul hearing about them? Well, look at verse 18. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. Paul says that there's division happening in the church. Do you remember our, our big takeaway communion displays our devotion to Christ and our commitment to one another? So the meal that Jesus gave to his church to do these two things, the Corinthians are taking it and actually causing division in the church. That's why Paul says when he writes to them, they gather not for the better, but for the worse. Look at verse 19. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. See, though division in the church is, is not a good thing, God in his sovereignty and his good providence uses it just like pressure and heat purifies precious metals, he uses division to actually expose and clarify those who belong to him. This verse is actually a, a sad reminder of the reality that there are those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, but their profession stops there. They don't possess faith but through their behavior and through their actions, it is exposed whether or not they truly possess faith. And this is a, a wake-up call for all of us, that it's not just the profession of faith in Jesus that matters. Do we truly possess faith? The question that we need to ask is, does my life and, and the way I act, my behaviors and actions, reflect my trust of Jesus? Because if it doesn't, God's saying that it's going to clarify who's in and who's out. Well, Paul continues, look at verse 20. When you come together then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. See, when I was growing up in, in youth group, we play this game, hopefully you all know it, of, of telephone charades. You know, at the very beginning of the line, someone would act out riding on a motorcycle, but then by the end, it's like the chicken dance. It's like totally unrecognizable from what it was intended to be. And Paul's saying that that's exactly what has happened with the gift of communion, that he can't even recognize that what they're doing is the Lord's Supper. And then he goes on to tell us what exactly they've done. Look at verse 21. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. Paul is saying that 
Instead of communion, bringing further unity and oneness in Christ and displaying to the watching world our devotion to his lordship and his work that they've instead divided. And how are they dividing? They're discriminating against the poorer members of their own church. And they're showing favoritism to the wealthy. Remember, our our big takeaway again, communion displays our devotion to Christ and our commitment to the church. So when we do it wrong, it, it shows that we do not act any differently than the world from the culture around us. That's why Paul says, what should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. And so like Paul, Paul, like a, a parent to a child who still hasn't gotten it, you know, often if, you've, if you come to my house, you'll hear me say, shepherd, shepherd, shepherd. He's, he's right over there. It, it's, it's just to get his attention. Paul's doing that and saying, let, let me pass on to you again for, for another time what Jesus has intended for the practice of the Lord's table. And what Jesus says tells us what it means and how we should do it. So let's look at how Paul recounts what Jesus has said. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and after supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So our first point, communion is instituted by the Lord. Communion is instituted by the Lord. And one of the first things I want you to see is that communion is God's idea. See, the church didn't come up with it. Instead, the church, look at verse 23, received from the Lord. And because Jesus gives it to us, he actually gives us a few things and tells us a few things about it. And then the first is Jesus tells us that he's the host. Jesus tells us that he's the host. See, that's why we call it the the Lord's Supper, or we come to the Lord's table. It's his dinner. Look at who's running the show. Look at verse 23. The Lord Jesus took bread. Verse 24. He had given thanks. He broke it. Verse 25. He took the cup. It's his dinner. We come to his table. And when we come, we come as guests. And so what I want us to recognize is that every time we take communion, the king of the universe is serving his people. I don't know if you, if you understood that, so I'm going to repeat it. Every time we take communion, the king of the universe serves his people. See, Jesus in his servitude to his people didn't stop at the cross, but he continues every time we take communion to serve his people. No other king is like that. Only our king. He serves his people. 
See, one time, a, a number of years ago, Natalie and I, we were newly married in a new province, new city, and we didn't know many people, and then all of a sudden, we got this invite to a barbecue, and so we're like, yes, we're going to meet some people, and then the details for the invite came in, and it was like, bring your own meat. It's like, what? It's like, you know, bring your appetizer, sure, we can share that, bring a dessert, okay, but like, bring my own main? That's like, why? Well, I, I can just stay home. And it's like, it, you gotta understand in my culture, my parents would be to their shame if people didn't leave with Tupperwares full after dinner. And so to ask me to bring, <laughs> so, so to bring, ask me to bring something for me to cook and then eat, it just didn't make any sense. But Jesus, when he invites us to his table, we don't need to bring anything. He provides it all. Do you notice that? He's the one providing the meal. And look at the meal. Bread, symbolizing his body. Wine, symbolizing his blood. These symbols of the life he lived and the death he died, all in our place. Verse 24, that's what he says, which is for you. Jesus died for us. And this is a great reminder that we bring nothing to the table of our salvation. We bring nothing and we add nothing. We could achieve nothing when it came to salvation. That's why Jesus says, come to his table. It's all offered to us. That's why all of the glory and all of the honor belongs to him alone. That's why Paul says we cannot boast because it's all grace. He gave it to us. This should give, if you're a believer here in this room, this should give you rest. You do not need to work to, to get his approval or his pleasure. He gives it to you. It's his grace. But this is also an offer of rest to the unbeliever. If you're tired of working, Jesus offers the meal for you to come. Not, not a call to come and do, but a call to come, receive, eat, and be satisfied in his work. So he invites us, but then he also tells us, look at verse 24. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus tells us, and this is the second thing he tells us, Jesus tells us how to do it. He tells us to do it in remembrance of him. But this isn't a, a dry recollection of history. We're not just spitting out facts. My parents, when they were, were doing their citizenship test and when they were getting ready, had to memorize a whole load of uninteresting facts about history of, uh, of the nation of Canada. I'm sure they remember none of it because it means nothing to them. But that's not what Jesus is calling us to do. It isn't a, just a recollection of past history. Bobby Jameson puts it very helpfully for us. The Lord's Supper is a meal of covenantal remembrance. It brings the past into the present, plotting our lives within the saving story of Jesus. In the Lord's Supper, each of us says, I eat this bread and drink this cup because of what the Lord did for me. The, and on the cross when he freed me from my sin. It's not just a recollection that Jesus died. 
but that he died for me. He died for you. He died for us. It's not just history. It's part of our story now. And so that's why every time we take communion, it's a powerful reminder of what, uh, that Jesus did what was necessary to meet our greatest need. And just like a, a wedding ring is a tangible reminder to, to the couple of, of their vows that they made to each other, communion, the bread and the cup are tangible physical reminders of God's love for us. My good friend Keith Hansen put it this way in a conversation we were having. Christ's love for me and his work is just as real as the bread and juice that is going down my throat. Next time we are able to take communion and Lord willing in the coming weeks we will. Don't just gulp it down. Let, taste it. Feel the sensation of it going down because just as real as those things are, the gospel is as real. His love for you is that his promise of forgiveness is just as real as those things. And so what that means is that communion shouldn't be just a time of sober remembering. It's right to remember that Jesus died and it's good to, to take time to reflect and repent and pray. But more so than that, it's a, it's a great celebration because what we hold in our hands is God's reminders to us that we've been forgiven. And so why do we remain sad? Jesus says you've been freed from your sin. You, you no longer owe anything. Instead, you receive grace you, you, you stand under him with peace. And so we celebrate because communion reminds us of God's unfailing promises to us. But it's not just a reminder. It also looks forward. Look at what Paul says in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The third thing that Jesus tells us is this. Jesus tells us what it anticipates. He tells us what it anticipates. Do you see it? As we celebrate communion, we look forward to his return. We look forward to his return until he comes. See, one of the things that Costco does really well is they get you to buy things that you don't really need. Right? They do this because they, well, back, back in the day, way before, they, they would have samples out. You'd eat it, and then you'd decide, you know, one dumpling isn't enough. I need to get that whole pack. And so, and just like Costco uses these small samples to build our appetite to, to get the real thing, the bigger package, communion, Jesus says, builds our anticipation for what Jesus will do and what he will bring when he comes again, because it's anticipating his return. So when he comes, we got to remember he's changing everything. Jesus will make good on all of his promises and bring peace and justice to this upside down world. Jesus is coming back. Amen? Jesus is coming back. Amen. But often, oftentimes, we, we, we live like we don't believe it. If we're honest with ourselves, it's, it's, it's a struggle to believe as we look around the chaos of this world, to believe that Jesus is coming back. 
But Jesus, knowing how frail we are in our faith, in his kindness, gives us the bread and the cup. Every time we hold it, it's a reminder of his promise that he is coming back. That he's coming back for us and he's not just going to keep the world as it is, but he's going to make it into his kingdom. He's going to consummate his kingdom and bring us into the joy of his fellowship. So Jesus is coming back. It's not a lie. Jesus is coming back. Communion is God's promise of that. And because he is coming back, because he's coming back, we can live this way. We can live prayerfully and eagerly. We can anticipate his return. Instead of just thinking about it as a, as a truth we acknowledge, we live every moment anticipating that Jesus is coming back. Maybe today, maybe even right now, that's how we should live. Jesus says, like a thief in the night, he will come. Are we ready? Are we living like those who are keeping watch over our souls and, and, and around us, knowing that he can come back at any moment? Because Jesus is coming back, we also, we urgently share the news of the gospel with the world. Jesus tells us that right now it's day and the harvest is ripe and we should go out and work because there's a time coming when the night will come and no one can work. Jesus is coming back. Every time we take communion, it's a reminder of that. And so that should cause us with urgency for the mission, urgency with the gospel to bring it out to the world. But thirdly, we also patiently endure injustice and suffering. This doesn't mean we aren't active in trying to find justice here, but it means that we know that it won't be complete until Jesus comes back, but we can endure patiently because he is coming back. It's gonna have an end. Injustice and suffering will be over when Jesus comes back. And he's gonna bring us in where there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. And so we endure patiently. Every time we take communion, it helps with all of these things. We anticipate his return. All of this is a reminder that communion is a meal, not for the hungry stomach, but for the weary soul. It's not for the hungry stomach, it's for the weary soul. It helps us and nourishes our faith, helps us grow more confident in what Jesus says he will do. It points us forward. But notice in all of this, in all that Jesus instructs us, and Pastor Chris says it really well, the Lord's Supper is not a one-on-one date with Jesus. You know, oftentimes the, the modern church views all of our service like that. It's, it's about the experience. It's me and the Lord. No, everyone else is shut out. The New Testament has no category for that. When we gather together, it's an acknowledgement of who we are. So the next time we sing this closing song, I encourage you, don't close your eyes. Look around. See who's with you. Let their songs and, and their voices encourage you. It's not a one-on-one date with Jesus. We are all eating together. We're all remembering together. And that leads us to our second point. Communion is celebrated as a church. Communion is celebrated as a church. See, communion happens in the context of the physical gathering of the local church. All throughout the passage, Paul is is pointing to this. Look at verse 17. He says, since you come together. Verse 18, when you come together as a church. Verse 20, when you come 
together. Verse 33, again, when you come together. In case you didn't notice, Paul wants us to know communion happens when we come together. See, this is why we haven't, as a church, taken communion when we haven't been able to physically gather. Because communion and the physical gathering of the church are inseparably tied in the New Testament. And so, Lord willing, now that we're able to, in the coming weeks, we'll be able to celebrate communion together. This is also why, because Paul says it's when you come together as a church. This is also why, according to the New Testament, that only those who belong to the church, and that means baptized believers, should participate in communion. Here's what, here's what Luke records, and, and Pastor Marv preached on this a number of weeks ago. So those who accepted his message, so belief, they believed, what happened next were baptized, and that, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. So belief, baptism led to their counting in with the church, their membership, and then what happened? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, so communion, and to prayer. See, the order is, is, is belief, baptism, membership, and then participation in the life of the church. Remember our big takeaway again. Communion displays our devotion to Christ and our commitment to the church. And so, with humility, I say this. You can't display your commitment to the church through communion if you have yet to publicly profess your commitment to the church through baptism. And so if you're not baptized as a believer here in this room, my, my encouragement to you is this, and this was said two weeks ago as well, it's your first step of obedience. Remember the Great Commission? Jesus says, make disciples. What's the first thing they, are, they ought to do in making disciples? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is the first step of obedience as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a member, commit to God's church. Commit to his people. Because communion is a celebration that happens when the church comes to together, right? It's when you come together. And when we come together, though, we ought to remember this warning. Look at verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. What does Paul mean when he says unworthy manner? Well, we got to remember the context. Remember in verse 17 and 18, Paul's recounting what's happening in the life of the church. He says that there's division. Instead of communion being used to build unity, it's being used to cause division. Paul says when we do communion that way, in, in a way that it wasn't intended, we're actually distorting the gospel. We're perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he says, you're guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. And another thing, Jesus so identifies with his people that sin and dishonor against his people is sin and dishonor against him. And I'm not making it up. Here's a number of verses from the New Testament. It's, a, it's the testimony of the New Testament. It says this, as he, and this is Paul, before his conversion, as he's persecuting the church, 
He traveled and was nearing Damascus. A light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice. And this is Jesus. He's saying, Saul, Saul, why, do you, why are you persecuting me? Jesus so identifies with his people. Paul goes on after his conversion to, to say this. And he subjected everything under his feet, meaning Jesus, and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. And again, in the, the book we're in, now you, meaning the church, are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And then he goes on specifically to talk about communion, the cup of blessing. So the cup that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing of the body of Christ? Paul is saying, when we take communion, we're actually fellowshipping with Jesus. We're participating in the blessings that he offers. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share in the one bread. Our, our participation of communion displays our oneness in Jesus Christ. Biblically, you cannot celebrate the death of Jesus Christ, which saves his people and unites his people, while at the very same time hating the people that Jesus died for. You cannot despise one another and then go to honor Christ, which the gospel says unites and, and makes his people into one. You can't do that. Because communion is one of the ways that we display that God has made us into one body. See, that's why Paul goes on to say that when we go to participate in communion, before we do, we should do this. Look at verse 28. Let a person examine himself. In this way, in this way let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many, sorry, before we go on, uh, for whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Oftentimes when we read that, that command to examine ourselves, we often think Paul means things like, don't take communion if you've sinned recently. Well, an encouragement to you, remember, communion is a, is a display of God's promise of forgiveness to us. Communion, we hold in our hands the reality that we have been cleansed, that we have been forgiven. That's not an excuse. Sometimes we think examining ourselves means oh, don't take it if we don't feel too close to God. Remember, communion itself is fellowship with God. He hosts the table. If you want to be close with God again, take communion He's offering it to you. He is the host. See, it doesn't mean the warning that we see here isn't a warning to make sure we don't have sin in our lives or that we've confessed every single thing because the reality is we're not perfect and we don't know ourselves perfectly so we wouldn't be able to do that. And Pastor Chris said that, that if we were to, to live like that, then Jesus would be waiting by himself at the table week after week after week. But the reality is Paul clarifies what he means in verse 29. He says, without recognizing the body. 
See, he, he warns, the warning that he gives here to examine ourselves is a warning against partiality and unresolved issues between members of the bodies. So what questions should we be asking before we take communion? Here are a number of questions that you should ask before you take communion. Have I sinned against another member? Two, do I hold bitterness towards another member who sinned against me? It's not just have you sinned, but have you been sinned against, but are you pursuing reconciliation? It's a two-way thing. Both individuals should be pursuing reconciliation and forgiveness. Three, am I showing favoritism to those who are like me? Am I only associating with members of the body who are just like me? That, that defeats the purpose of unity in the church. Fourth, am I neglecting the needs of the members in our church? See, the, the whole context here is that poor members are arriving late and they have nothing to eat. See, communion wasn't just a, a time to feed their souls for the poor, but it was an opportunity for the church to, to meet the needs of the less fortunate in their body. And so he tells us, examine ourselves, and these are the ways that we can. Remember, our big takeaway, communion displays our devotion to Christ and our commitment to the church. Every single time we take communion, it's an opportunity for us to consider and a, and a call for us to pursue forgiveness and reconciliation. So the next time we take communion, the question you ought to answer, is there someone I need to talk to before that? See, God takes this so seriously. He says that he disciplines members of the church who cause division with illness and even death. God takes the, the display of the gospel so seriously that he will discipline his own children with illness and even death. Look at verse 32. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the Lord. See, God's discipline doesn't put our salvation in jeopardy. In Hebrews 12, it likens God disciplining his children because he loves them. See, if we don't, don't receive discipline, it means that we aren't his children, but he disciplines those he loves. And in this case, he loves us so much that he would rather us endure physical death than mock the gospel and, and show ourselves to not truly be saved at all. God loves us so much that he would use illness and even death to bring about repentance and righteousness in us. And then Paul concludes, look at verse 33. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about other matters whenever I come. Remember, again, our big takeaway, communion displays our devotion to Christ and our commitment to his people. 
And what Paul concludes with is a reminder that communion is a a family meal. Welcome one another. Or uh, if you have um, uh, footnotes, it says, wait for one another. And so we welcome one another. We wait for one another. Because when we do that, we actually live out the example. We follow the example of our Savior who is actually waiting to welcome us to a meal just like this one. So that we can enjoy it with him. Look what he says in Matthew 26. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. And right here, but I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Jesus is waiting to welcome us to a meal that we will celebrate together. And see, that will be a a real meal. See, the, the prophet Isaiah foretelling of what it would look like says that God spreads out a a lavish meal for us. He says, the finest wines and the prime cuts of meat, God's gonna put it all out for us. It's gonna be the, the most amazing meal that we're ever gonna have. And it's gonna be the biggest family reunion. See, God's saving people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And and we're all gonna celebrate the work of Christ, not just with symbols, not just with bread and wine, but we're actually gonna be in his presence. It's not just a, a, a looking forward to anymore. It's our faith has become sight. We're celebrating in the very presence of our Savior. And we're going to sing a song. And the song we're going to sing is this. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. We're going to take that meal together and that's the song we're going to be singing. No longer just looking forward but with faith having become sight in the presence of our Savior who loves us and who is worthy of all honor, of all glory, because it belongs to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder from your word of the grace that you have given to us in the meal of the bread and of the cup. And as we take those things, it's not just bread and and wine, but it's the reality of your promises of forgiveness to us. It's a reminder for us to anticipate your coming, and we look forward to that, that meal that we will share together with our family, the multitudes gathered together. And so would you help us sing that song, that blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to you, our God, forever and ever. 
Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.